Sometimes I like to imagine the world after us, the strange mammals that will emerge, the abundance of biodiverse plant life taking over our fields and factories and so on. I don't think this world will be better. I maintain that we are the most interesting thing to happen on Earth, and there is real beauty and meaning in our curiosity and compassion, even as we also cause and witness so much suffering. But at any rate, there will be a world after us, after each of us. And that's why there's life insurance. It exists to provide a financial safety net to those who love and count on you. Policy Genius's technology makes it easy to compare life insurance quotes from America's top insurers in just a few clicks to find your lowest price. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for $1 million of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. So save time and money and provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. Policy Genius, because there will be a world without us. Welcome to Dear Hank and John. Or as I prefer to think of it, Dear John and Hank. Uh, it's a podcast where me and my brother John answer all your questions, give you dubious advice, and bring you all the week's news from both Mars and AFC Wimbledon. Hi, John. How are you? I, uh, you're, you're so sad. <laughs> that was the saddest intro I've ever heard. Uh, I did my our, best. You know, it, it's... Uh, it's never a funny comedy podcast, but uh, this particular episode of Dear Hank and John is going to be particularly unfunny uh, because Hank's beloved dog, Lemon, uh, has just died. Uh, yep. And also uh, because uh, I have just learned in the last hour that uh, the brilliant novelist Harper Lee has died, uh, one of my favorite writers. And um, yeah, so don't expect any funny today. Yeah, um, it was always a comedy podcast about death. Now it is just a death comedy, about, uh, death podcast about death. Now it's just a death podcast about death. Now it's just to all death <laughs> all the time. Uh, speaking of which, Hank, before we even get to how we're doing, which I think the answer is universally terribly, I have to say that there is an important correction uh, to one of our previous episodes. And this comes from Matt, who would like to inform us that in fact, despite it being the shortest month, February is not the deadliest month, at least in the United States. August and September share the title for the least deadly month, with the August death rate uh, being the lowest, while September is the lowest by uh, total deaths. February is fourth in total deaths and third in deaths per day. Wait, so wait, 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 we are wait. still in the thick of the the death season. One of one of the things you said didn't make any sense there at the end. It's it's fourth in death rate and third in deaths per day. Oh. No, it's fourth in total deaths and third in death rate. Oh, uh, this is too confusing for my brain right now. And all in I can any tell case, you, Hank, is uh, that yeah, this it, February is a terrible time to be alive. Well, it is because your chances of dying are exceptionally high. Yeah. Yeah. 
it's very like it it seems it seems very unlikely to me and i would like to know wh- why except that it's cold and people are like eh had enough yeah had enough of this living thing no i mean i i am inclined to agree uh the 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 best time to be alive is mm, probably august uh maybe september uh, depending on how you calculate it but january and february are just overwhelmingly the worst to give you uh, a little bit of context in february the average number of deaths per day in the united states is 7081 mm. in september it's 6051 wow. it's more than a thousand deaths per day less wow that's a big difference that is not just a big difference in numbers I know. it's a big difference in in actual numbers of of people I'm sorry not just in numbers but in percentage um that's that's very strange and also I'm kind of surprised by how few people die per month well in the United States but still that's I, I don't know there's 300 million of us it's surprising that only only 6000 people die in any month well uh what what do all the people who work for funeral homes even do all I can tell you Hank is that I cannot wait for August all right well I I uh, my my favorite month is September <laughs> So I guess uh, I guess that plays out in the uh, in the stats as well. So uh, we just have to pause briefly uh, to commemorate the life of Harper Lee, author of To Kill a Mockingbird. Harper Lee, who wrote, there are just some kind of men who, who are so busy worrying about the next world, they've never learned to live in this one. And who wrote, mockingbirds don't do one thing but make music for us to enjoy. They don't eat up people's gardens, don't nest in corn cribs. They don't do one thing but sing their hearts out for us. That's why it's a sin to kill a mockingbird. And Harper Lee, who also wrote the single greatest line of dialogue in American literature, Miss Jean Louise, stand up, your father's passing. Hank, she was one of my favorite writers, um, especially when I was a young person. And when my son was born, uh, we gave him the middle name Atticus, partly because of... uh, the uh, historical Atticus, but partly because of uh, Atticus Finch, the great hero in the novel To Kill a Mockingbird. And uh, my publisher, Julie Strauss-Gable, uh, after Henry was born, sent Harper Lee uh, some copies of my books. And uh, Ms. Lee very kindly uh, sent one of them back, a first uh, printing of Looking for Alaska uh, that she signed mm. on the title page, Welcome to the great. World, Henry Atticus. Harper Lee. I feel like that was our short poem already. I hope you don't have another one because. But I have a short poem about dog death. Oh, really? You found a short poem about dog death? Of course I did, Hank. <laughs> oh my goodness! All right, I'm going to take my headphones out. You do it, and then I'll be back. I like to sort of yell when you're done. <laughs> okay. Uh, today's short poem is by Mary Oliver, a great uh, lover of dogs and also a wonderful poet. Uh, this is from her book Dog Songs. And the title of the poem is If You Are Holding This Book. You may not agree, you may not care, but if you are holding this book, you should know that of all the sights I love in this world, and there are plenty, very near the top of the list is this one, Dogs Without Leashes. (laughs) If you are holding this book from Mary Oliver's book, Dog Songs. I can handle that one. All right. I, I tried. There are some sadder ones, but I didn't want to, to uh, make you cry in our comedy podcast. <laughs> it's, so, it's so funny. It's such a funny podcast, John. Oh, uh, man. 
I'll tell you what. Uh, it's it's weird. It's uh, it's very. My my emotions make no sense, and uh, and they continue to surprise me, and I I am learning ab- about myself through this process, uh, and what I'm learning is I ain't no rational being. <laughs> That's not what humans are. Uh, so it's uh, yeah, it's something else, um, and it sucks. Yeah, I'm really sorry. So. Uh, she was a great dog, and. Um... And it is. I mean, it's just a, it's it's a it's a grieving process. And I think uh, no matter what kind of grief you experience, the main one of my main conclusions from grief is that grief is super weird. Uh, mm-hmm. And that if you try mm-hmm. to judge yourself within the process of grief, you're only going to complicate matters because uh, it's complex and weird. And uh I would argue that there aren't a lot of wrong ways to do it, but instead you just kind of got to let, let yourself be yourself. All right. Well, I I will take that advice, John. Do you want to talk about anything else before we answer a question? No, maybe we should uh, start off with a question about death. All right. That sounds like uh, the kind of thing that, that might happen here on Dear Hank and John. All right. So our first question of the day comes from Abby who writes, Dear John and Hank, I am the only child of a single parent who is dead. My father and I were extremely close, and his death two years ago was without doubt the worst thing that's ever happened to me. But it does mean that in this terrible economy, I am a 26-year-old with a low-paid, artsy job who owns a beautiful home in inner London outright and lives alone. I sometimes struggle to deal with other people's reactions to this. Many people are confused by my rare situation and ask me how it happened, and answering is very awkward, and I've also found that some of my friends struggle not to sound jealous or bitter about it. As you host the best comedy podcast about death on the whole internet, thank you, Abby, I thought you might be able to help. Do you have any dubious advice for me? Oh my god! It's a uh, well. It's good to uh, answer questions that are you know universal. Everyone deals with these issues of of uh, just of having this particular situation. Uh, it's very. It's a very. Uh, it's a very surprising and unusual circumstance you find yourself in. But I think, in a lot of ways, one that that actually isn't that unusual. Um, you know, the the ridiculousness of of capital. You know, uh, of the of of course, like I I believe to some extent in the market and in the existence of capital. I understand that it needs to exist, but it is very strange how so many how how we all have very different amounts of things, and and that allows, uh, you know, it it makes it well. I I think that the the easy way to say it is like, and you have more stuff when you have more assets your life is easier and you can make uh different choices you can you know it is easier to do the things that you want to do um right but of course i'm sure that also abby would in a, in a heartbeat of course uh, you know give up her house in inner london to have her her relationship with her father back or to have her father be living again and i think that's one of the things that makes it so complicated i mean when we were talking earlier about how grief is inherently complicated that's one of the things that's complicated about it right mm-hmm, is mm-hmm. that um you know, it's, you know, when you talk about someone who, who who's died leaving you a legacy, you know, part of that legacy is a physical house. And mm-hmm. that is a great blessing. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't make it doesn't make the death any less horrible. It doesn't make the loss any less horrible. Um, and, uh, you know, I think that uh, I think the only way to deal with those those awkward situations is um to acknowledge that they are awkward 
like mm-hmm. just to just to be like, yeah, I know it's it's it is weird, and I feel weird about it too. But this is this is what happened. Right, right, and it's almost as if like it's all a thing that we know. Like it's it's a thing that we all know to say like I wouldn't give up a loved one for wealth. Obviously, like that's a thing that we we all know. But to have gone through it uh, is a different thing, and to have learned that lesson the hard way. Um, and uh, so, so like there's there's also uh, there is some awkwardness in uh, not just in inequality in uh, in material wealth, but in inequality in experience, and uh, and it can make it can feel very scary and very uncomfortable to talk to someone who has lost something that you know that is unusual to have lost at the age that, that right. you are and uh and that lo- other people do not have that shared experience um and sadly that will get um that will get more or less common but le- le- it will be less the case as you get older yeah it will become progressively less weird um but but yeah i think that it's i i i always feel like with um with those awkward situations, really the only way to deal with it is to acknowledge the awkwardness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you say like, okay, well, uh, it, it's funny actually uh, that the uh, it's just, it's funny actually is how I started the sentence. But um, the the night before we were taking lemon into the vet to say goodbye, uh, we went to get donuts because that's a, that's how I, we were feeling. And so we went to Krispy Kreme. Uh, we were actually like out to get, we were just like picking up some food to take home. And we were like, and then we were like, oh God, we're right next to Krispy Kreme. So we went to Krispy Kreme and the guy uh, gave, gave us our donuts and he said, so how's your, how's your night going? And we were like, oh, <laughs> we're not, I'm not going to answer that question. <laughs> uh, and uh, he, he said, he, he lo- he's a very nice guy. He looked at me and he was like, well, I hope it goes better. And I was like, thank you. Because, like, it, like it's it's very strange to, like, because, you know, the vast majority of the times people are like, how you do? And you're like, good. Uh, but I could not I could not bring myself to say good. And uh, he handled it very well. I felt like, uh, in a way, I handled it well. But I was also a little bit like, do I look like the kind of person who goes to Krispy Kreme at 9 o'clock at night uh, because I'm having a good day? <laughs> That's just not... I don't know. I I don't think there's anything wrong. I don't think that like (laughs) it's inherently depressive to go to Krispy Kreme in the evening. I don't think there's any right time to go to Krispy Kreme. (laughs) I suppose. I suppose. I I definitely did feel like, well, this is not a thing that I would normally do, but uh, it did not make me feel better. (laughs) I'll tell you that. It's funny how that works. Um, I find Uh that uh, when I eat uh, poorly, it makes me feel better. Uh, only while I am swallowing the food. And then <laughs> within five minutes, it makes me feel much, much worse. All right. I have another question, John, if you're up for that. I'm ready. This one's from Daniel, who asks, Dear Hank and John, whenever, whenever I'm having conversations with a friend about a problem they're ha- having, I often find myself suggesting solutions to the problem instead of just listening. I find it difficult to tell the difference between when someone wants me to suggest solutions and when someone just wants to be listened to. What are some tips to become a better listener. I feel like uh, I do this a lot and John has given me advice on this very topic. And so I am going to shush. <laughs> yeah, because God knows you talk too much on this comedy <laughs> podcast. Um, yeah, I mean, I can only give you the advice that my uh, chaplaincy supervisor uh, gave me many years ago and that I've tried to hold close 
uh, to me ever since, which is uh, don't just do something, stand there. Uh, it is incredibly powerful uh, to listen and to listen mm-hmm. empathetically. And so, and, and so when I'm trying to listen to someone, I, I'm, I'm always trying to, uh, to pay close attention and then also to reflect their feelings and experiences back to them. Um, so I, we've talked about this in past comedy podcasts, but empathetic listening uh, can sound a little bit stupid when you're talking about it in the abstract. So for instance, if you have a friend who's saying, um, you know, I'm feeling really afraid of abandonment because my boyfriend is talking about moving to Korea, uh, you would you, you you might respond by saying, um, it sounds like you're feeling afraid of abandonment. Um, <laughs> ideally, you'll do it in a slightly more sophisticated way than that. So the person uh, who you're talking to isn't like, did you just literally repeat what I said? But in my experience, even if you just literally repeat what they say, it's still helpful. They'll be like, yes, exactly. <laughs> and there's just something about having someone else validate yeah. your, um, your feelings mm-hmm. that's very powerful. Yeah, and I think that a lot of times people are talking about their problems because they need to hear them. They're almost they they almost need you to be there so that they can feel okay talking to themselves, and that's really that's right. really weird. Uh, but we don't feel okay talking to ourselves a lot of the time, uh, and and also just to help tease the feelings out because I as I have found in the last uh, last few days. Um, it's very difficult to know what you feel all the time. And so sometimes you just need to talk about it just so that you can know. And sometimes I want to get a therapist, even though I'm pretty pretty well-adjusted person, just so I can have a person with a blank slate and be like, okay, I'm just going to hit you with all this stuff. Um, you know, yeah. you don't know anything about me. I don't know anything about you. Let me hit you with all this stuff so that I can just at least like hear what this sounds like to a person who isn't in the middle of it. Right. Yeah, no, I, that's one of the big benefits of having, um, having a therapist. I don't think that you have to have, uh, mental problems to go to therapy. I think, you know, going to a psychologist is very different from going to a psychiatrist. Um, yeah, I would, I would recommend it, Hank. I am, I've been in therapy since pretty consistently since, uh, the year 2000. And, uh, my life has gotten consistently better over those 16 years. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> sure. Correlation and causation, always the same. Uh, yeah, but then again, like, I don't want to mess around with anything because the correlation is so strong. Um, yeah, yeah, totally. Uh, that's, but it's, it's, I know it's magical thinking to some extent. Um, I have a question, Hank. It's from Mallory. It is a fascinating question. I do not know if you will be able to answer it, but I find it very beautiful. She writes, Dear John and Hank, My grandpa and I have been in a very heated argument for about two years. He believes there is a possibility that another planet exactly like Earth could be in our orbit on the opposite side of the sun, making it impossible (laughs) for us to ever see it and for it to ever see us. He saw this in an old movie once. I'm no astronomer, but I did take some (laughs) courses in college, and I don't think this could happen. Could this fictional planet exist? What a great question. Well, well, first, Mallory, I have to say, I'm glad to hear you took at least some courses in college. <laughs> yeah, she didn't. Mallory did not say that she took astronomy courses, but she did take some courses. There was at least one course, maybe two, that were taken during college. Oh, man. I took anthropology. I took pre-calc. <laughs> Those two. I took some courses. Uh, I... 
I uh, first, I, I'm glad that your grandfather and you are able to have this spirited debate. I hope that it's that it's a it's a, a pleasant one, and uh, it's it's also nice. Uh, I think when you're having a debate to know that you're right, which in this case you are, and. Uh, but even but but it is also important to recognize sometimes you're like I know I'm right, I know I'm right. I don't know why I'm right, but I know I'm right. And yes, Mallory is right. Oh and the reason dang I know it! I'm, I was hoping for a uh, secret it's, planet. It's it's, uh, it's unfortunate. But the reason I know I'm right is not because I know all the reasons why I'm right. It's because I I have faith. I trust th- that the people who uh, who study the universe have thought of this thing that was apparently in a movie a long time ago and have checked. Uh, <laughs> oh, so that, you don't. So you don't actually know that it's impossible. I do know that it's impos- impossible, but Mallory doesn't oh. because she only took some oh. courses in college. <laughs> uh, Can you explain to me why it's impossible, please? Uh, we uh, have a pretty pretty good. Uh, pretty good grasp on the gravitational effects that all of the planets have on each other. Um, oh. It is true that the gravita- that its gravitational effects on Earth would be would be basically in- invisible. Um, so but there there's uh, there, there's a bunch of different reasons as with uh, uh, like lots of cool things in in science uh, that we uh, that we figure out it, it, a bunch of different arrows all point to the same things. Um, mm-hmm. So we know how planets form, and we know that it would be extremely difficult for a planet to form this way. It would to, to for for two globs uh, to perfectly pull all of the stuff from the planetary accretion disk into uh, into these opposite points. Um, if it was even if they were even very slightly different masses, they would eventually come together, uh, which is what happens and why there is only one planet in each of the orbits. Uh, mm. Despite the fact there is there is a gravitational point at which you could put another Earth, and mm. that they would go they would go around each other. So there's that reason. Um, there's also the you know just sort of like the, we have studied the Earth. We also have have things that sense plant like that are not on Earth. So you say like yes, it could be there, and we wouldn't be able to see it. But we have uh, we have eyes and other points in the solar system. So there's lots of different reasons why this is not a thing that could be. Um, but it's a fun thought experiment, and also uh, you know like we do uh, we do there are a, a number of weird gravitational points like that, and we do utilize those. Um, to they are like gravitationally stable points, and there are asteroids in those places that are sort of like stably following us around, mm. but um, but uh, but no, not no, Earth, no big, no, no big ob, no, yeah, no other, no other Earth, which would be amazing because it would be really easy to get to. And yeah, that's what then, I was thinking. We could get to our yeah. secret Earth. Um, well, mm-hmm. Mallory, I don't think you should tell your grandfather about this, I think you should just continue the argument. Um, yeah, I, I don't. Well, it's think a lot better should... than the arguments that uh, that that uh, I have with my my, conser- my 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 family members who I disagree with things on. <laughs> I, I was like, are you going to say that we are having arguments with our grandparents because they're all dead? <laughs> but not, Hank's still fighting it for. out. He's still fighting it out with Nanny and Papa about about whether or not uh, gay Global people should be allowed to get married. They may be dead, <laughs> but Hank is not done with that argument. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kind of not. <laughs> you know, I will say at the end of her life, um, uh, our grand, uh, the New York Times started um, 
uh, posting. Uh, back then, it was like civil union ceremonies um, for for uh, uh, LGBT couples in in the wedding section. And at the end of her life, my grandmother did say, "Well, I think that's that's a nice thing." Wow. Yeah. So that's a that's a that's a long journey to travel uh, for a you know eighty seven year old woman. All right, this one is, is uh, this one's from Ori, who asks, "Dear Hank and John, how do artificial flavors such as strawberry flavor pass as strawberry flavor when they taste nothing like strawberries? Does something trick in uh, does something in does something in it trick our brains into thinking that strawberries taste like that, or are we just used to calling it strawberry flavor because everybody does? I have a uh, a surprisingly complicated answer to this question." John, do you? Uh, I have a theory about it. Okay. Uh, so this is my theory. Sometimes when I am drinking uh, an ice-cold, refreshing, I don't understand why they continue to refuse to sponsor me, Diet Dr. Pepper, um, I will take a sip of that Diet Dr. Pepper, and I will enjoy it greatly for a moment until I realize that it is, in fact, Diet Mountain Dew. Mm. But my brain is so heavily expecting the flavor that it knows to be Diet Dr. Pepper that my brain initially is like, that's some good Diet Dr. Wait, wait, that isn't Diet Dr. Pepper at all. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that's my theory, is that you are essentially tricking your brain with, um, with the color. And then you're also tricking your brain with the sweetness. Yeah, you're tricking your brain with with a bunch of of things, and I that, I think that absolutely does happen. And I I also for me it is a guess. It is not uh, it is not something that that I know anything about. Uh, but I do know some things about flavor chemistry because it is something that I studied some when I was in college. I took some courses, <laughs> uh, and uh, and and remarkably there. So so when we first were isolating all of these artificial flavors, which are the things that we use uh, in candy almost exclusively. Um, we pulled out these all of these flavor compounds that have very strong smells, and they smell very good to us. And uh, so we, we pulled them all out, and a lot of them tasted like, ah, this tastes like a thing. We'll use it as the thing. Um, a lot of them didn't taste like anything, though. They just tasted good. So it was a flavor that we liked, but it was, it was one of you know, a dozen different compounds that was in a strawberry or in a watermelon or in a blueberry or something. So it was, it was one of many compounds and it was just part of the subtlety of the flavor. But when we concentrated it and stuck it with some citric acid and some sugar, uh, which is the stuff that makes that, that was like the primary flavor components of, of sugar, of course, are like the actual tastes uh, of, of sweetness and, and sourness. Um, and then you have these smells that go along with it to enhance that are enhanced by those things. Um, you get uh, all of these chemicals that taste good, but don't taste like anything. So we had them. They're inexpensive to synthesize and we like them. And they but like they're just chemicals. So like they're named by the International Union of Pure and Applied Chemistry. They're not named by, you know, the, the long uh, history of people naming things, <laughs> being like that that berry grows in straw, so let's call it a strawberry or whatever. Uh, so like uh, they, they didn't want to call it like ethyl methyl phenyl glycide uh, flavored <laughs> candy, so they called it strawberry flavored candy. Today's podcast is brought to you by ethyl methyl glycyl rye <laughs> candy. What is it called? What do you call it? 
<laughs> I don't even think I said it right. I, uh, 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 ethyl methyl phenyl gl- glycidate. <laughs> today's uh, today's is, podcast. Is, is, today's is, podcast uh, is brought to you by ethyl methyl glycosylate. <laughs> Delicious, but it doesn't taste like strawberries. But you're gonna like it, and we're gonna make it red. You're gonna love it. Yeah. Uh, all, all right. Uh, we're doing this. Uh, the today's today's podcast is uh, is uh, is uh, is brought to you by uh, too many sad things. Too many sad things. Uh, there's a lot of them, and just let them let them pile on top of you until you can no longer function or or even move. And of course, today's podcast is brought to you by delicious, refreshing Diet Dr Pepper. Diet Dr Pepper, oh, not sponsoring me since 2007. This podcast is additionally brought to you by Meloria, the the uh, the actual planet Meloria, which is found just behind the sun in the exact same position as the Earth, but not by anyone because it's hiding there and has been and will always be hiding there. Just an opportunity for us to consider what could possibly be if the Earth had it all to do over. <laughs> Hank, is that really the name? Yeah, well, that, the girl's name was Mallory, who asked the question. Oh, so you named the planet Meloria. That's very beautiful. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I, fig- I figured oh. it's what her grandfather would want. I agree. I agree. Um, uh, I just thought of a joke that's too dark for the podcast, which is really saying something. <laughs> This episode of Dear Hank and John is brought to you by ZocDoc. Look, there are, I think it's fair to say, some imperfections in the American healthcare system, but there are ways that it actually has recently gotten easier. I don't compromise on a lot of things, but I do not love feeling like I can't find the right doctor for me. And I've gotten very lucky that I have found some good doctors for me. When it comes to your health, there shouldn't be compromise. Don't go back to that one doctor who uses your appointment to catch up on the latest headlines slash their family group chat slash their crossword puzzles just because they're available right now or they happen to take your insurance. Instead, like you don't have to keep going back to a doctor who you don't like. You can check out ZocDoc, a place where you can find and book doctors who make you feel comfortable, who listen to you, who prioritize your health. And you can search by location, availability, and insurance type. So literally no compromises. Because with ZocDoc, you've got more options than you think. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare highly rated in-network doctors near you and instantly book appointments with them online. Once you find the doc you want, you can book them immediately. No more phone calls and waiting on hold with a receptionist. We don't have time for this anymore. And these doctors all have verified reviews from actual real patients. Booking appointments with tens of thousands of top-rated, patient-reviewed, credible doctors and specialists. The typical wait time to see a doctor booked on ZocDoc is between 24 and 72 hours. That's it. You can even sometimes score same-day appointments. Go to ZocDoc.com slash DearHank and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then you can book a top-rated doctor today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash DearHank. ZocDoc.com slash DearHank. Every time I know it's coming, and I'm like, I'm going to have to say doc, ZocDoc.com right now, aren't I? And then I do. I'm getting good at it, everybody. ZocDoc.com. Okay, Hank, we have another question. This one's from uh, Kelsey, who writes, Dear John and Hank, I recently moved to a new city, and I'm in the process of making friends. However, the people I'm meeting make significantly more money than me and like to hang out at bars and restaurants. I can't afford to go out multiple times a week. How do I continue to explore these burgeoning relationships without draining my bank account? P.S. Feel free to mention death in your response. Thanks, Kelsey. I appreciate that. I will mention death in my response. Here's the first thing that I would say, Kelsey. If you can just find a way to get to August, 
you'll probably live to January. <laughs> well, that's good. That's, uh, that's I don't know. News. I don't know why you're so worried about your weekly spending yeah. when the first priority needs to be getting out of February. <laughs> YOLO. <laughs> uh, so here's what I would say. Uh, this is always difficult and it's complicated. Um, and I think it's one mm-hmm. of the reasons that we uh, now live in a culture in the United States where people uh, overwhelmingly spend most of their leisure time with people who are in similar socioeconomic brackets. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and which is, a, which is, I think, one of the biggest uh, social problems that, that we face as a country. Um, but what I would say is uh, don't go out multiple times a week. Uh, go out once a week and then encourage your friends to come with you once a week to do something that is cheap, like go Mm -hmm. to a park and, uh, you know, play. Feed pigeons. For for some reason, the idea that came into my head, Hank, was to play a game where you throw eggs back and forth to each other, but you try not to have the eggs break. But... Oh, so they're are they in fourth grade? Are they fourth well, graders? I mean, not only I, is Kelsey seemingly not in fourth grade, what with going to bars and 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 etc. But also, um, <laughs> that isn't uh, that inexpensive of a game, <laughs> because of course the eggs cost money. <laughs> eggs are pretty cheap. Just don't I get mean, the free range. Yeah, range they're one. cheap. Get the, but you get the sad chicken. You know, eggs. If you're watching, if you're watching your weekly budget, you don't want to just go throwing raw eggs at people. No, I agree. Uh, though, though, compared with uh, the cost of a cocktail in New York City, you could probably get about four dozen eggs for that. <laughs> Did I ever tell you about the first time I went to New York City with my uh, best friend Todd when we were in high school? My best friend Todd no. came... Did you have insufficient funds? Uh, no, that was Canada. My best friend Todd uh, is from a very small town in Alabama and uh, grew up in a trailer park and had never been to New York City before. And we went to the Metropolitan Museum of Art... And we were at the restaurant there with uh, with my parents, and Todd saw that two eggs were nine dollars. <laughs> it was two eggs scrambled, were nine dollars. <laughs> uh-huh. And Todd said to the waiter in his thick Southern accent, "For nine dollars, I want a suitcase full of eggs that I can take home with me." <laughs> <laughs> it's a different time. Well, now Todd is an extremely successful dermatologist, but I suspect that uh, he still won't pay nine dollars for two eggs. No. I, I understand that perspective. I, I, uh, back to Kelsey's question. I believe I didn't say that wrong, did I? It is Kelsey. It is Kelsey. Uh, yeah, I, I, think it's, I think in particularly in big cities, this is a huge issue because big cities are optimized to, to, uh, to provide for every like little slice, every little demographic slice. And uh, where I live, there's just nothing you can spend much money on. Uh, so everybody is sort of on the same page for the most part. Um, and, uh, but, but in New York city, I think you really like, there are so many different, you know, economic brackets and the city is optimized to, 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 you know, function for each of them individually. Uh, I, I cannot imagine having to try to figure this out. Um, but there are, hopefully you uh one can when doing these things manage to do it not so conspicuously on a budget oh i'm just having seltzer now i'm taking a medication that means that i can't i can't drink anything that costs more than twenty dollars a glass um (laughs) that sort of thing um and don't don't be afraid to lie 
uh, about that, about the little white yeah, lies. John and I are big fans of those. And then uh, love a good lie. And then you know, also be like, you know what I think is super fun is Settlers of Catan, and uh, bring them back to your place where I'm sure there's loads of space for a large game playing table because it is New York City and. Everyone knows. Oh, man. When we lived in New York, Hank, we entertained in our apartment in the two and a half years that we lived there. We entertained in our apartment once. Yeah. We had friends over to our apartment oh, one God. time. It's so And hard. it was horrible because it was so small. It was so cramped. We were trying to, like, make breakfast. And our uh, our kitchen didn't have any drawers, which is, you know, inconvenient when you're cooking for two. But when you're cooking for six, it's just, oh, it's just such a pain. Let's move on to another question so that I can forget about my New York City kitchen. This question is from Dikista, who asks, uh, Dear Hank and John, I'm in need of some dubious advice from two people who spe- seem to be in stable, happy relationships. I'm a 21-year-old woman in college attracted to the male type, but it seems that nothing... Well, that's your first mistake. <laughs> it seems that nothing is working out for me relationship-wise. I went out with this guy once, and I thought it was going really well, uh, and... He said he was looking forward to another date, and then suddenly just canceled, and I haven't heard from him since then. My more hip friends, hip is in quotation marks here, have told me that this is called ghosting, where you just stop talking to someone to show disinterest, but this no- makes no sense to me. Ah! Oh, God. That was all in caps. That was all in caps. Why do people take this seemingly easy way out when it seems like it's just better for everyone to tell the person you're not interested? We're adults, for goodness sake. Oh, God, I never want to be single again. Uh, I can't even give an encouraging answer to this question because inside I'm just cringing uh, at all of my memories of dating. (laughs) It's just so uncomfortable when you don't know if you're going to spend the rest of your lives together. Like, the whole process (laughs) is uncomfortable. Even when you've been in a committed relationship for, like, two years, it's still a little weird because Mm -hmm. you're like, is this forever? Or are you just, like, going to be here for a while and then you're going to go do something else. You've always got that option. You've always got that thing, oh, that, that yeah. maybe sitting there, that, that the choice. It's always a choice every day. It's like, do I want to be with this person or not? Until, uh, you, until you go and you say, you stand in a, a fancy building and you say, hey, God, God, I want you to hear this. Oh. We're not going to break up. And then God's like, I heard you. And then then it takes a little bit of that of that constant choice out of the matter. Although I have um, to say, Hank, and you I, did not stand in a building or, in fact, no. say anything we didn't, to God. We didn't talk to God either. No. Yeah, we said nothing to God. It's you guys true. stood in a field and uh, promised to stay it's married. That's <laughs> true. Well, we said it to our God, which was our friends and family. That's fair. Anyway, point being, uh, Hank and I are terrible, yeah. terrible at giving dating advice. Um, it's true, but I have, I have, I have watched this. I've watched. I have a lot of young friends who are in in the 2016 dating scene, which is admittedly very different from my dating scene, which was just uh, just grab onto and hold the first woman who will listen to them at be giants with me, uh, and never let go. <laughs> the uh, that's so, the true story of how <laughs> Hank got married. <laughs> um, so I I, th- I as I watched this happen, both on the the ghoster side and the ghost e side. I think what's what's kind of happening is that it's it's kind of a side effect of the the uh, the tiny commitment of the text message, uh, which is which is that it is a really insignificant social act to text someone, and it is also kind of and and so everyone recognizes that everyone recognizes that this isn't a big deal. You texted me, no big, 
Um, but like, because there's this really low commitment form of communication, any other form of communication seems really intense. Like if you were to send an email to this person, it would be really strange. And like, why are, are, are we establishing a business relationship here? And if you were to call them, people would be like, oh, whoa, 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 back down there, tiger. What are, what are we married? Calling me on the phone? And, uh, and, and, but additionally to this, like, very low impact, like, this is the only way you can communicate, and basically I see that you are not, like, it's not a big deal if I don't text back because you are just texting me, and it's a low impact form of communication. I think also every single text message is, like, like, when you get one, you have to make the choice whether to text back or not. And if that choice isn't obvious, then there's always that, like, well... I can put this choice off and not texting is a non-choice. It is a wait till later to make this decision choice. While texting is an active kind of a commitment, an active choice that you are making and choices are kind of exhausting, especially when you have to make lots of them. And so you're increasing the number of these choices that you have to make. And I I've watched and, and it's like, what I would rather do is just not make a choice right now. So I'm going to push this, push this off until finally the choice gets made for you because they're like, oh, well, I didn't text them back for two weeks. It'd be real weird to text back now. But you never really made that choice. So I think that there's a lot of like, this isn't about not being interested um, necessarily. Of course, sometimes it is absolutely about not being interested. But oftentimes it's not just like, I'm not interested. It's like, I'm choice exhausted I have two, like, uh, and I don't know, like, there's a lot going on, and I don't want to necessarily add this because it's not, like, it's not the 100% slam dunk thing that I imagine might could happen someday. Having heard you, Hank, uh, old man your way through this question, I have come to a revelation (laughs) that is even more terrifying than the revelation I came to when I realized that I myself was middle-aged which is that I I now have a younger brother who is also (laughs) middle-aged. Like, while you were answering that question, you left early age and you entered middle age. It happened. It happened. I I should have used the word millennial at some point. I heard it happen, and (laughs) I'm upset. We need to move on. No, I should, I should, I should just, I should just go full on and become a baby boomer and be like, uh, you young kids need to make decisions and be more careful with each other's opinions of each other. And I don't know why all middle-aged people are from New York. Oh my God. Uh, Sarah and I had the best time a couple weeks ago, uh, uh, a, a, a friend of ours who will remain nameless was using a, a Tinder-like dating app and allowed us to choose whether to swipe left or right on their behalves. And I mean, mm. I totally get it. It was so fun. Um, but let let's yeah. move on to one last question before we get to the. Do you do you not do you not think I had good advice? Do you think that it was all bad and that that that? No, uh, I, I mean, just... I think I my advice would be to listen to your hip friends rather than Hank Green. <laughs> <laughs> I just watch I I it's so hard to watch young people date and it just seems it seems very difficult and very Yeah, I mean I think it was uh, always hard. From, I think it was yeah. always hard. I think it was always complicated, but it does to to our eyes certainly seem more difficult and complicated than it used to. Okay, Hank, one last question before we get to the news mm-hmm. from Mars and AFC Wimbledon. This question is from Bethany who writes, Dear John and Hank, last year my fiancé and I traveled to London from Canada for vacation, and of course we attended an AFC Wimbledon game to show our support. Oh. 
That's awesome. Thank you, Bethany. Everybody in South London, everybody who visits London should really go to an AFC Wimbledon game. I myself am going to one in a week. Uh, But more on that in a moment. Um, The game was incredibly fun to watch, but the best part of the experience for me was joining in with the crowd as they sang various songs to support the Dons and taunt the other team. I've never been to a sporting event where there was so much singing and camaraderie like there was at the Wimbledon game, and I'm just wondering, how did this tradition of singing at football games come about? I've never seen anything like it at sporting events here in Canada. It's true, you don't hear a lot of curling songs. Um, <laughs> or even hockey songs, you know? Hockey, hockey's mm-hmm. mostly about, like, cheering uh, or, or making a lot of noise to make a lot of noise rather than about mm-hmm. singing specific songs. And that's mostly true in American sports as well. Um, you know, I think, as far as I know, the tradition uh, goes back, uh, you know... A hundred years uh, that some of the some of the songs that are sung uh, are many generations old. But I don't know where singing at soccer games started. It is, however, a what a huge part of what is so enjoyable about going to a Wimbledon game or or really any game uh, with with good with good support is that there's this energy in the crowd that is almost. Uh, ir- like th- the game is almost irrelevant to the energy. Um, like one of my favorite moments, you can look this up on YouTube, Hank. I think it was uh, Aston Villa fans. They were there were like twelve hundred Aston Villa fans uh, away- playing away to Manchester City, and they were losing like seven nothing. And they started. They started. Uh, first off, they they sang one of my all time favorite football songs, which is uh, "You're Nothing Special, We Lose Every Week." <laughs> <laughs> um, but then they then they started singing. Let's pretend. Let's pretend. Let's pretend we scored a goal. And then uh, <laughs> they sang that like three rounds of it. And then the all twelve hundred of them just went nuts, like uh, just <laughs> screaming, jumping up and down, hugging. Uh, it was amazing. And like, uh, you know, they weren't even like watching the atrocity right. that was yeah. happening on the actual football field. And for me, that is what makes uh, sports special and interesting and especially makes uh, soccer so interesting is that it has that passion that extends way beyond whatever the results of the game are. Um and I really would encourage everybody to go to AFC Wimbledon games. I would also say it's only $35 a year to become an owner of AFC Wimbledon. Uh, if you can, you can go become an owner of the team just like I am at the Don's Trust. And uh, that's really cool, too. You get lots of perks. Um, but yeah, it is it is a really special experience. And one that I will get to enjoy next week, Hank, because I am going to an AFC Wimbledon game uh, Yeah, next week against Oxford United, I think. Well, I... I'm so excited for you. Is Oxford United good at at football? Let me look up and make sure it's Oxford United first before I answer your question. It is Oxford United. Now, let me answer your question as to whether they're any good. I th- at this point, Hank, every game is incredibly important. But Oxford United is not just good. They are very good. They are currently third, um, which means that they are in one of the automatic promotion spots. The mm. top three spots mm, wow. in the league all get promoted up to the third tier of English football. AFC Wimbledon currently in 10th. Right. Um, but they have, uh, they're only three points out of sixth. So uh, it's, it's, so we're just going to jump right into the news from AFC Wimbledon. 
AFC Wimbledon, Hank, uh, played Luton Town last week. Now, of course, you remember Luton Town because of their significant role in AFC Wimbledon's history, I assume? Sure, yes, of course. You don't, do you? No. Hank, in 2011, just nine years after the club formed, or reformed, AFC Wimbledon was in the fifth tier of English football. Yes. They were an amateur Mm -hmm. team, not yet in the football league. You couldn't play them in FIFA. And they made it to the playoff final. The game, at the end of 90 minutes, the score was nil-nil. At the end of extra time, the score was nil-nil. And then there was a penalty shootout. And 19-year-old goalkeeper Seb Brown saved two penalties against Luton Town to send AFC Wimbledon up to the Football League and back to their rightful spot uh, in professional English football. That same Luton Town, a couple years later, got promoted. So now uh, we get to play them twice every season. And AFC Wimbledon played Luton Town uh, last week and won 4-1, Hank. They won, they won by three goals, which is great for goal difference. Mm-hmm. And two of the goals were scored by our Montserratian international. Ooh. The Montserratian Messi, some call him. <laughs> Do you know who Lionel Messi is? Yes, yes. I have heard that name. He's a, he's a tennis player. <laughs> You're kidding, right? Yes. Okay, thank God. I am. Um, yeah, so uh, I call him the Montserratian Messi. The Montserratian Messi scored two goals. AFC Wimbledon beats Luton Town 4-1. We're in 10th place. Uh, I have to say, I am starting to properly dream. Uh, so how? where are you at in the thing? Did you say, oh, by the way, that this, the, the Montserratian and Messi is, is Lyles Taylor, or did you just not say that name ever? Because I feel like you should at least use his name and not just call him. <laughs> I don't, at this point, I don't think it's necessary to say his name. I think we all know. <laughs> I think we all know. No, I did. So that's a, who kind, the Montserratian and Messi is. There's, there can only be one, that I, and it's Lyle Taylor. I know that. Um, <clears throat> yeah, so AFC Wimbledon, to repeat myself, Hank, are 10th. Okay. They are 10th in I the just league didn't right hear that now. part. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but because uh, because different teams have played different numbers of mm-hmm. games, uh, if AFC Wimbledon win all of their games, there's like 16 games left, so obviously that's not going to happen. But like if AFC Wimbledon won all of their games, and if all the teams above them won all of their games, AFC Wimbledon actually would make it into the playoffs. Mm. So, uh, okay, <clears throat> great. That's I'm getting a little choked up here, as you can tell. But yeah, I'm starting. I'm starting to dream. I am truly. I. I'm dreaming. I'm dreaming with you, John. I'm gonna have a. I'm gonna have a dream. I had a dream last night that I had a bunch of tattoos and a, and a really nice body. <laughs> I mean, I might get an AFC Wimbledon tattoo if they get promoted this season. <laughs> I'm sure my oh, wife man. would be delighted. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure. Um, all right, you want to you want to hear some? What's some the news, news from, from Mars, Mars this week? All right. Uh, well, uh, as you as you may have heard, uh, you know we gotta we gotta make when we get to Mars, we gotta feed ourselves. And uh, one way to do it is just to bring all the food with us. Uh, but as we learned from the Martian, uh, if you bring all that food and then suddenly you need to spend another six months on Mars, uh, you got to take your Thanksgiving dinner, cut up those potatoes, plant them in the Martian soil, and uh, become, you know, become the, the greatest botanist on the planet. Uh, and it worked fantastically in the book, in the movie. Uh, so NASA is actually looking to simulate growing uh, Mars potatoes in Peru, the home of the potato, by the way, if you were, if you did not, if you did not know where potatoes came from, South America, surprisingly, uh, somewhat surprisingly, just because it is such a big part of what we consider European cuisine. But 
not not since only only after the Columbian exchange, as they say, uh, here on Dear Hank and John. The uh, the, the the partnership is between NASA and I'm not kidding you, uh, Lima's International Potato Center, which is a thing that exists. Uh, there are <laughs> there are many 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 different varieties of potato. We do not see the vast majority of them here in the, in the U.S. grocery stores, but there are 4,500 varieties that are registered at Lima's International Potato Center. And uh, hundreds of them will, including some genetically modified ones, will be used to uh, sent through a series of tests to see how good they would be at producing potatoes, Uh, not just uh, not just potatoes for one generation, but potatoes for many generations of potatoes on the surface of Mars. Uh, and that's we've got to deal with, uh, you know, the, the amounts of of, uh, you know, the, the soil will need to be cleaned up before it is, you know, if we're on Mars, the Martian soil. Well, we need to clean up to some extent before this is done. But, you know, you got to test for, for salt, the amount of light that they need, uh, you know, the amount of water that they need. It's best if they use less water and produce more potato. Uh, and you, there's like a radiation concern. So uh, but they're they are confident that at least some of these potatoes will pass uh, pass the, through these tests and we will have we'll have the right stuff for going to potato to potato land with. And by potato land, I mean Mars. And that's what we're going to call it. Well, but someday it will be known as Potato mm-hmm. Land. All of our potatoes will be grown on Mars. We'll just uh, we'll eat nothing but Martian food. Earth will be for humans, Mars for potatoes. <laughs> if there's only one food, John, it should obviously be potato. I mean, if you're only going to have one food, potatoes is not a bad option. Okay, so before we go, we need to answer uh, a few things from previous episodes uh, that have been brought to our attention uh, via our email address, hankandjohn at gmail.com. First off, Hank, uh, Mel wrote in about cereal uh, in your latest podcast john confessed he puts water on his cereal this intrigued me because i hate milk i thought i thought putting water on cereal was generally unacceptable and that nobody would actually try it but hearing that at least one person in the world has not only tried it but does it regularly i thought i had no reason not to try it myself so this morning i had water on my cereal and as advertised watered cereal provides the same softness that milk does without having to add actual milk this has saved my breakfast. No longer will I suffer the grossness of milk or cut the roof of my mouth on dry cereal. I don't care if I get judgmental looks in the morning. I can finally enjoy cereal in a way I never could have before. Thank you for revolutionizing my mornings. Sincerely, Mel. You are welcome, Mel. Well, it's hard It's hard for me to argue with that, John. It's hard for me to say that you are the monster that you are after Mel has had this wonderful life-changing experience. But... We've also gotten about 400 yeah. <laughs> emails from people who are disgusted by me. <laughs> and an awful lot of comments, because you made a whole video about this. We've also got a message from Till, who says that uh, not only are there feral cows in British Columbia and Hawaii, but also in Hong Kong. And yes, Hong Kong. There are feral cows in Hong Kong. I'm not even kidding you. Jeff made some, wow. made some corn dog cake for his kids, and it wasn't bad. And he attached a picture of his kids, and they do indeed look very happy. Amanda writes in to say that uh, she works at a food bank in Alameda County and thus knows all about how long food lasts after its sell-by date. And indeed, macaroni and cheese is perfectly fine. In fact, dried pasta is usually good 
two years after the sell-by date, and she includes a PDF from the Alameda County Food Bank that uh, it is a guide for how long you can eat things after their sell-by dates. Remarkable. We're going to go ahead and post that as well as uh, some pictures of feral cows in Hong Kong uh, to our Patreon page, which you can access even if you uh, aren't, uh, don't uh, donate, but feel free to donate. Um, and, uh, yeah, we are, uh, so you can see both of that. I thought it was, I have to say, having read Amanda's email, I was dead wrong about, uh, food and how long it's good for. <laughs> and as she says, uh, John, you have fallen prey to what the food manufacturers want you to think about as food safety, but is really about wanting their products to be at peak flavor. So mm-hmm. that's really important, uh, and an interesting point and one that I will bear in mind for the rest of my life. So... We all learned something today, Hank. Uh, but what else did we learn? Uh, uh, we learned that sometimes when your team doesn't score any goals and is being absolutely ripped to little tiny pieces by the other team, it doesn't matter. And you can still have a good time because really it's about uh, camaraderie and, uh, and singing songs and being together and believing in the same things. And we learned that strawberry flavor is uh, not strawberry flavor, but it is delicious. Ethyl methylphenyl glycidate. <laughs> we learned. We learned that John has this strategy called uh, I- I- empathic listening, which is has something to do with Deanna Troy from Star Trek. <laughs> we also learned that Hank doesn't really listen to me when I'm talking on Dear Hank and John. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. And lastly, uh, we learned that uh, grief is complicated and that you shouldn't judge yourself for it, but that you should just go on. Yeah. You shouldn't judge yourself if you need to get yourself a donut. Go get a donut. Yeah. Just enjoy an evening donut. Speaking of which, Hank, uh, two different employees here at uh, the Indianapolis offices of Dear Hank and John (laughs) brought in Friday Donuts. So we have three dozen donuts for just nine people. It is a, uh, it's an absolute donut bonanza here uh, today, and I'm so grateful to everyone. I look forward to seeing if I can eat 10 donuts by myself. All right. Donut disaster. Donut disaster 2016. It happened. Uh, (laughs) Oh, I should also mention uh, that uh, Dear Hank and John now has an intern. Thanks to our uh, lovely support at Patreon, we've been able to bring on a paid intern. Uh, her name is Claudia, and Claudia will be helping out with Dear Hank and John in various ways. Uh, so if you ever interact with, with Claudia, I don't know why you would, but she, she will be helping out. Mostly she'll be helping out us. She, we will still be doing all the public-facing things. Actually, in fact, this voice that you're hearing now is actually Claudia's impression of me. I'm not doing this at all. That's what the intern does. She just... Yeah, no, it was Claudia both of us. introducing herself. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, the whole podcast has been hosted by Claudia. She's doing both of our voices. She's doing a great <laughs> really, job. I'm really impressed with her stuff. work yeah, so wonderful. far. Uh, the best part about um, her doing this podcast is that she's so successfully made it not funny. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 a really a remarkable spot on impression of uh, of two guys uh, really just struggling with with uh, with uh, being interesting uh, and and their own mortality. And, uh, and not really caring at all whether or not the things that they say on this comedy podcast could ever be considered in any planet, um, you know, Meloria, Mars, or Earth. <laughs> <laughs>
Meloria is my new favorite planet. Okay, Hank, we really have to go. Today's <laughs> podcast was edited by Nicholas Jenkins and possibly Claudia. I don't know. Um, our theme music <laughs> is by Gunnarola. My voice is giving out. And as we say in our hometown, don't, don't forget, forget to, to be, be awesome. awesome.